great pleasure to welcome Adrian Stanford, the group CTO at ESAT South Africa, to this edition of uh, What's Next. Uh, a great pleasure to welcome you uh, to 2024, Adrian. How are you doing? Thanks, Aki. I'm doing great. And uh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. No, it's a, it's a great pleasure. And now we're talking about something that's really very topical. Uh, just just globally, wherever you go, um, it is probably the number one business threat. Uh, it's a threat to our lives. And, uh, you know, even just recently in Davos, it's been highlighted uh, the, the seriousness of, of, of cybercrime and cybersecurity is at the forefront of any organization protecting themselves against the bad guys. So, uh, and I'm sure you have your finger on the pulse on what the cybersecurity trends are. So tell us about those latest trends in cybersecurity, uh, the landscape that's out there. Uh, what's going on? And I, I imagine that AI is adding additional complexity to that particular landscape. Yeah, sure, Aki. It's uh, threat landscape is a, is a great place to start. So, you know, I think what is not well known about ESIT, aside from being a specialist provider of endpoint and XDR solutions, is that globally we have over 100 million users. And if you consider our partnerships with Google Play Store and Intel with their threat detection technology, we actually, in effect, protect over a billion user devices. So we have a huge amount of telemetry upon which our research is based. And we also have 35 years in the industry. And we have uh, research uh, centers all around the world in San Diego and Singapore and Buenos Aires and so on. So ESET's a very active participant in the research community. And we publish almost all of our research for free as a contribution to security awareness uh, on our security blog, which is welivesecurity.com. So the trends that I'm about to discuss are from our latest threat report, which was published uh, in December. And uh, we do about two of them a year. And so this data primarily covers the second half of 2023. And uh, this threat report is also available for free online on our blog. So let's get into it. Some quick detection statistics. On our top 10 detections, we are seeing phishing remaining at the number one spot, which accounts for 25% of detections. And these, of course, are attacks trying to lure out passwords and other sensitive credentials from users. We're also seeing a surprisingly or suspiciously growing number of malicious JavaScript attacks, which are scripts being injected into websites uh, with vulnerabilities. And that's jumped from number five right up to number two, accounting for over 10% of our detection. And we'll talk more about this in a second. And finally, in the number three spot, we're seeing 32% uh, growth in sextortion email attacks with just under 10% detection. So overall, we're seeing detection volumes in general, remaining relatively stable. Uh, the research team thinks that this is probably part of a return to baseline after the uh, start of the Ukraine-Russia conflict in 2022, when we saw a huge rise in detection telemetry. So in the threat report, there's a lot of detail, and I'll just take a few interesting stories, which I think might interest uh, your audience. But I do encourage the audience to, to actually download the report. It's a really great read. So uh, a moment ago, we discussed um, why well, I mentioned malicious JavaScript. And these are being injected mostly into vulnerable WordPress websites. So detections of this are up 111% in the last six months. So that's more than double. And this is basically a malicious script that is smuggled into an unpatched vulnerability in a WordPress or similar CMS-based website. And the alarming thing about this is, as a user, all you have to do is just visit the website and then you can get infected. You don't need to click a link or download anything. You really just have to visit the website. So 
that's quite alarming. And of course, you know, if you have a product similar to ESET, then you know you should have some protection against that. But otherwise, really, all you need to do is 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 visit them, and you can unknowingly be infected. And these scripts can do various things. Some of them can skim credit card information. Uh, Mag eCart is an example that just won't go away. Um, or they could just be a, a starting point for the attacker to then install other scripts onto your devices. And you know, depending on what their goal is, those scripts or other uh, exploits you know, will do different things. But I think we should remind ourselves that you know, just WordPress accounts for about 40% of all websites on the internet. So we should not dismiss the significance of this trend. And it's also a reminder of, generally speaking, unpatched vulnerabilities are one of the leading causes of security incidents. And that's exactly why, you know, yeah, absolutely. in our products, we have a vulnerability and patch management solution and offerings for that, for that exact reason. So moving on. Adrian, tell me something, uh, this, this vulnerability, sorry to interrupt you, that, that vulnerability in WordPress, does it um, affect mobile devices as well? Or is it desktop mainly? Um, or can it affect any device? It depends on the script. I would say that uh, desktops are probably more affected, but it can affect mobile as well. Okay. So interesting. Hey? And, and just like that, unknowingly, you're visiting a WordPress website, it's infected, and you don't know what's happening in the background, your machine gets infected as well. Exactly. I mean, if you can put your shoes in uh, the position of uh, high-powered executives uh, just browsing websites that they don't even know are WordPress-based or not, you know, it's a real concern. It's a concern for everyone, consumer and business alike. Wow, scary stuff. So um, what other examples do you have? Right. So uh, ChatGPT, of course, uh, everyone's favorite chatbot, which has become, you know, very uh, hyped up and mainstream in the last year. So this popularity makes it uh, an obvious target for uh, easy phishing. And um, what we've seen is uh, the word chat GPT has been used in malicious domains. So what attackers are doing is they are creating URLs that include the word chat GPT, and that can trick users into thinking that they are accessing the actual chat GPT service, when in fact, they're actually accessing some kind of malicious website. And uh, in the last six months, uh, we detected over 650,000 attempts to access these kinds of malicious domains. And uh, the kinds of threats that these domains lead you to are twofold. The first is an issue with API keys. So OpenAI, which is the developer of ChatGPT, you can actually get an API key from them if you want to access ChatGPT via API, and then they will bill you for the usage of that. Now, what happens is, is if you access one of these malicious domains, it will redirect you perhaps to a web application which has a bring your own API key kind of principle. So it asks you, please insert your API key, and then it will ostensibly use that API key on your behalf for whatever value add that they offer. Now, of course, this is a terrible idea. You should never reveal your API keys, um, but you know people do it. And uh, the issue with this is that, look, it could be legitimate, but the chances are that uh, you, your API keys are being leaked, and then you know somebody else could end up using it, and you might have a big bill to pay at at OpenAI. Uh, open the second issue with these kinds of URLs is they often promote the use of browser extensions. So they'll promote a browser extension that maybe has a GPT plus Google combined functionality, and that's the value add. So if you install this browser extension and you type in a search query the results can be manipulated and they can insert a URL, which might then further redirect you to, you know, if you click on it, it will re redirect you to some other nefarious part of the internet. So uh, 
yeah, anything that's really popular, you know, this really shows us how a hype around some new technology can be taken advantage of. And there's a lot of concern around this and people should really be aware of that. Wow. No, it's, it's uh, really, really scary, Adrian, uh, out there. And, you know, by the sounds of it, and, uh, and, and I guess it's, it's getting worse, right? It's not getting better when you compare us to 2023 and 2022. Uh, we're actually getting worse. And uh, these uh, actors and these cyber criminals are becoming more and more sophisticated as, as uh, technology becomes more sophisticated. So do they with their uh, methods and the technologies that they use. What can we see? Uh, what can we expect to see in 2024 and beyond? Is 2024 going to be the turning point or not uh, for cybersecurity that it will get better uh, compared to previous years? Yeah, no, Aki, I think you're making a great point that in terms of the threat landscape, it's usually getting worse as our lives you know, continue to get uh, more and more technological and digital. I think maybe before we move on to 2024 and, and the future, there's, there's one more thing I wanted to mention just about what we saw recently. Uh, last year, uh, the, the probably the biggest hack that ever happened in terms of damages was um, I won't mention the name, but it was it was uh, it was enacted by a ransomware group called Clop, and uh, the product that they went after was a popular managed file transfer app, and many large organizations and government institutions used this this program. And uh, what happened was it was an exploit of a zero day vulnerability about May last year. And this vulnerability allowed attackers to escalate their privileges and gain unauthorized access to stored and transferred data. Initially, the impact was bad, but it didn't seem that bad. I mean, a couple of big names were involved, some airlines, some broadcast uh, companies. But six months later, we learned that actually that was just the tip of the iceberg. And actually, it was way, way bigger than that. Thousands of organizations, over 2,700 organizations affected, U.S. government, schools, healthcare, lots of global multinational companies. Uh, I think 91 million individuals are affected from this. And the estimated cost of damages sits at about $14 billion. And that makes it, from a damages point of view, uh, the biggest ever. Uh, I think the previous one was the NotPetya ransomware attack from a couple of years ago, which was estimated at $10 billion. And uh, law enforcement estimate the earnings that the attackers gained from this at about 75 to $100 million. So really, really big stuff. And what was interesting about this, Aki, was not necessarily the scale of the attack, but actually the technical proficiency of it. Um, again, it comes back to exploiting vulnerabilities. These attackers were actually testing this vulnerability as far back as 2021. And so they were probably waiting for just the right time, the opportune moment to launch the attack. And, you know, that amounts to a dwell time of maybe two years. And the other inter interesting thing about it was, unlike normal ransomware attacks, no encryption or actual ransomware was deployed. Our research team speculate that maybe it was just too much data. There was so much, it was just too tedious to encrypt. And so they just stole it and then extorted the owners and forced the owners to pay for it. Otherwise, they would publish it. And uh, and they did publish it for the you know for the uh, the parties that didn't pay all their data, thousands of organizations and data of millions of individuals is all over the dark web. So yeah, it's uh, it was a really really big hack. Um, just a couple of other tidbits that are kind of interesting from the research from last year. Uh, we saw a almost three hundred percent increase in macOS password stealers now. Granted, this is off a low base in absolute terms, but I think it's always important to draw attention to the fact that macOS 
is not immune from threats, as is commonly believed. And uh, the other topic is in terms of cryptocurrency. You know, we're seeing the price of Bitcoin has been rising again in the last few months. And previously, we've seen malware-driven crypto mining, which would correlate to the price of Bitcoin. And we've actually seen a divergence in that trend. However, we are still seeing a lot of crypto wallet theft happening. So, yeah. There's, there's a lot more great information in the threat report. And yeah, uh, those are just a couple of the interesting points. So to your earlier brilliant, question. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. So what I was going to say to you is, are we going to see more or less the same stuff happening in 24 and, and 25, I guess, going forward? Because if these guys are planning attacks, you know, two years back and it's just sitting there, what, what do you, I mean, it, it, it's scary what's possible for 2024. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, we can never truly predict. No one knows for sure uh, what's going to happen in the future. But I do have some opinions from our research team. So uh, let's talk ransomware. So aside from the story, you know, that with this big, big hack that we just discussed now, ransomware hasn't been the most topical of late, but it has been a consistent threat. And our research team believes that existing ransomware actors are going to be increasingly active and more aggressive in their demands. We don't necessarily expect new players to enter the scene, but rather we expect ransomware banks to scale up their operations using affiliate programs and ransomware as a service to effectively employ their potential uh, competitors. You know, technology has really just made it easier and easier and faster for ransomware attacks. And we always have to keep in mind that cybercrime, it's a business. And these actors think and run operations like businesses. And this is just one example of that kind of dynamic. So that's ransomware. The next one is IoT. And this is something that often slips into the periphery of general awareness. IoT remains an increasing concern. And we've discussed this in the threat report as well. Um, but basically, IoT devices often get uh, are easily taken advantage of through vulnerabilities. And they are recruited into botnets, which can then be used in DDoS attacks. And the problem with IoT devices is that often the users of IoT devices aren't even aware. So they're kind of indifferent as to whether their device has been you know, attacked or not, because it'll probably just continue being yeah, functioning as before, and the user is not directly affected. Meanwhile, it's being used for, you know, but a nefarious activity somewhere else. And you know, EDOS is everybody's problem. Um, and the other problem is that manufacturers of these devices are often quite slow or even uninterested in implementing proper security measures. So it's really important for security researchers to carefully monitor. We have to really look, keep looking at uh, IoT activity to understand this emerging threat. And we really want to draw more awareness to this issue, both from a user and manufacturer perspective. And that's exactly what our research team is trying to do with this topic. On the and, and I think we need to clarify IoT in just a second, because, you know, you often talk to people about IoT and they think, oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a corporate thing. It's, you know, it's not going to affect me. But the reality is that most people are using some kind of IoT device in their day to day lives, right? Whether you've got a, a nanny cam at home, that's an IoT device, isn't it? Or whether you have a, a security system that's linked to an app there's an IoT device there. So they're all over the place, aren't they? Yes, exactly. And I think what most people realize is that, um, I think you're right, Aki, in pointing out that IoT, often the perception is of something quite sophisticated of maybe home automation, which is uh, absolutely uh, uh, applicable, but it can be as simple as something like your Wi-Fi router. In fact, a lot of these exploits are in um, older Wi-Fi routers. You know? So most people, whether they are 
you know, into tech or not, have some kind of IoT device, even if it's just a router or a smart TV. So on the Android front, uh, we're seeing continuous growth in adware and, and, and hidden apps. And, and we're seeing these malware authors use generative AI to improve the language and content of these apps to make them seem more credible. And uh, a particular concern is the growth of almost 300% to 85% in spy loan apps. So these are apps that masquerade as legitimate personal loan services. And what they do is whether or not they offer a loan, invariably they collect personal and financial information and then they actually use that to extort the users. And that's actually how they gain an advantage. So I should point out that um, most of this kind of stuff comes from you know, people who've rooted their devices and are using uh, third-party app stores, not the official Google Play stuff. So if you stay on official channels, your risk is significantly lower. But a lot of people get fake or free versions of apps through other means, uh, especially in the Android domain, and that's where a lot of this type of stuff comes from. And then uh, finally, the, the, the topic of AI, which uh, everyone's favorite topic, we expect an increasing use of uh, generative AI to add efficiency and effectiveness of scams, phishing, social engineering, and as well as the generation of uh, malicious scripts. Yeah, uh, it's frightening. And I mean, let's talk about AI for a second, because there's a very strong correlation. There's a relationship between AI and cybersecurity. And, and I guess that AI can, can help you guys, you know, improve on that, uh, on, on cybersecurity, which we will talk about. But why is AI an advantage to attackers? How are they using AI to to become more focused on their attacks and more efficient in their attacks? Yeah, Aki, so just to kind of go back to your preface, you, you're quite right in, in pointing out that there's this dual relationship with AI in that both attackers and defenders need it and have access to it alike. So to your, to your point or your question, which is, well, how does it help attackers? So I think it's good to take a step back from the AI hype of last year. You know, generative AI entered the mainstream and it has been characterized as either an apocalyptic scenario or this panacea and solution to all our problems. And, and that perception extends into cybersecurity as well. It's entirely, you know, it's either entirely doom or gloom or it's the latest thing that's going to save us. Now, neither of those extreme scenarios exist. And I should have emphasize that what we're discussing right now is true as of this moment in, in January 2024, but it's a fast-moving space, and we can definitely expect it to change. But as of now, despite the wild speculations that's, that have been circling, artificial general intelligence doesn't exist as far as we know. So there's no generally intelligent machine that can learn on its own and independently make decisions without human supervision. So there isn't that you know, supreme tool that can be used by attackers or defenders alike. But what is available is this kind of assistive tool that, as you said, can make attacks easier and more efficient. So, you know, we've mentioned ChatGPT being used as a phishing law, and that's a very simple example. But let's get into it a little bit more. So the easiest way to use generative AI, by, you know, at least from an attack point of view, is that you can use it for content creation for phishing, spam, fake news, disinformation. So if you consider in the past, maybe it was easy enough to spot a phishing email because of the use of bad grammar, that is no longer the case because chatbots can now produce perfectly grammatically correct uh, phishing emails and they can do it fast. So they can generate lots of content and give attackers lots of options. And you might say, well, but don't, you know, chatbots have guardrails against that. And that is true, but it's relatively easy to just re-engineer, quite cleverly re-engineer your prompts and you can get around these protections. So 
The content creation from generative AI is definitely a concern. Chatbots can also be used to create malicious scripts uh, or new malware. The current ability, you know, and the opinion of our research team on this is that the current ability is relatively weak. But as we saw in the threat report, there's a huge increase in malicious scripts being injected onto vulnerable websites. And new variants of these scripts can easily be created uh, using generative AI. You can give it one variant of a script and it can modify it and you can iterate really, really quickly. So again, we need to keep in mind that yes, right now the ability to create sophisticated malware might be weak, but the current state of technology is only going to improve. You know, it's right now it's the worst it's ever going to be. And it's only going to get better. So we'll need to, you know, keep an eye on that. The other thing is that uh, AI can increase the speed of an attack uh, because it can extract and, and, and uh, process data at such a great efficiency. You can uh, extract targeted data from a leaked or stolen data set, and you can optimize the process of trying to profile potential victims and find the best possible way or topic to build an attack, either against a mass population or a specific individual. Um, and you can also use it to find vulnerabilities. So this is actually an example of good and bad. Uh, we know that Google and Microsoft are using it internally for their own software to find vulnerabilities. And if they're using it, then the bad guys can also use it. And I think maybe just the final thing I'll say is we've got deep fake technology, which of course is this tech uh, that can be used to create fake, but very realistic photo, video, or voice imitations. And in fact, one of our researchers in the UK, Jake Moore, did a little experiment, uh, just a small one, and he managed to extract money from a business owned by a friend of his. And uh, he just used a, a, a WhatsApp voice note, which made him sound like his friend, and that tricked his employees into making a payment. And I should point out, this was, of course, all done above board with all the consents involved. Um, it proved the point that this is a real and current threat. But I think the, the core message here is that AI has not yet created an entirely independent autonomous cyber threat, but it is being used as in an assistive function and it's improved the efficiency of cyber attacks. Okay, interesting. But I guess the deep fakes in that are also going to affect things. And as you mentioned, you can alter voices and videos and make people sound realistic and identical, in fact, uh, going forward. But you mentioned AI when it comes to an advantage to attackers, but I guess that AI can be used as an advantage to yourselves, like uh, your organizations to defend uh, and protect in the cybersecurity space as well. So, you know, they can use it. Yes, it's great, but I guess you can use it to a great advantage, AI. Exactly. So, again, in the same way that AI is not the silver bullet for attackers, it's not a silver bullet for defenders. However, it's an assistive technology and yes, we, we need to use it. So, you know, this technology exists out there for all to use. So the attackers are going to use it and we need to use it and we are. So let's, uh, let's talk maybe generally about how AI uh, can help cybersecurity from a defense point of view. So it can accelerate research. So, you know, most of cybersecurity is based on research. So it, it can improve the efficiency of discovery and analysis of new threats. That's something that our research team do all the time. It can accelerate detection, you know, pattern matching, analysis of suspicious or malicious code, behavioral analysis, things like that. Uh, we can use it for monitoring of network uh, traffic uh, and analyze that for malicious or anomalous activity. We can use it as a complementary technology to other detection technologies. Uh, in terms of generative AI, we can use it to 
help distill maybe complex threat intelligence. So large language models can help uh, summarize information and make it more easily understood by regular users or decision makers. We can summarize incidents, summarize cases, do trend analysis. So there's a lot that we can do as well from a defense point of view, and that also uh, helps us uh, in, in the fight against uh, security. And, and uh, talk to me about uh, your organization, ESET, and how are you using AI in your offerings? Where, where do you apply it, and how do you guys use it uh, when you offer it to your customers? Yeah, Aki, so we use it carefully, and we don't try to oversell its benefits. So let's consider the fact that incorporating it into an actual cybersecurity product has many considerations. So for example, you can't just deploy a large language model on an endpoint agent. It's too resource heavy. Uh, and you have to be really careful from an engineering point of view to use this technology in the correct way to find that right balance for it to actually be useful and usable in your product. Another factor to consider is that any type of, type of AI, including modern generative AI, if left without expert supervision, is going to malfunction. We've seen it in chatbots and we've seen it in cybersecurity. False positives can be as bad as an actual security incident if it grinds a business to a halt. So at ESET, our secret source is the human expertise and huge data set that we've accumulated for the past 30 plus years. And that allows us to create very effective, well-trained AI models that assist in detection and minimize false positives. We also don't pretend to market AI as the one and only silver bullet that solves all problems because it's really not. It's an assistive technology. We must use it and it needs to be used, but we must also combine it with other technology layers in order to be truly effective. Having said that, I would like to argue that we have been a pioneer in AI for the past 25 years. And I'll tell you a story maybe to illustrate this point. So I'm sure you remember a few years ago, a few new cybersecurity vendors emerged on the market and they coined this term NextGen AB. And this term is still around. And in the process, they lab labeled all existing vendors as legacy or traditional. And the premise was something like this. It was you know, the existing vendors use outdated signature-based detections, whilst NextGen AB uses cloud-based technology, behavioral analysis, and AI. And, and the, the claim focus was really on AI being this technology that is, you know, the solution to all problems. And we found this quite amusing and frustrating in equal parts because we first introduced AI in 1998. And in 2005, we moved away from signature-based detection in favor of, you know, uh, machine learning-enabled behavioral analysis. We've got this technology called DNA detections. And then in 2010, we expanded that to become cloud-based so that it uses all of the technology worldwide that we collect uh, to improve its efficiency. So it was quite amusing to us that years and years later, these new emerging vendors claimed that their technology was new and novel. And it was quite frustrating that the market seemed to believe the claim. But I think the key takeaway from the story is that just how much hype can inform market perception and particularly that of key decision makers because th these vendors have been successful. Now, the same argument can be made generative AI, the hype of which might have you believe right now that at this very moment, it's the solution to all our problems and it isn't necessarily the case. So what we do claim is that we at ESET, we have a strong, long lasting track record of research, data and human expertise as well as pioneering multiple detection technologies, especially in the field of AI. And I think the best example of this 
is that as far back as 2021, we were already incorporating transformer-based AI models into our detection technologies. So transformer-based AI models are the same basic AI architecture that powers all of the generative AI that's been emerging now in the last year or so. So I think this really demonstrates just how far ahead of the curve we are and how much we always look to future technologies uh, to incorporate in our products. You know, recently we've added some new AI features to our XDR offerings, such as uh, automatic instant creations, just an example. And we're actually looking at other assistive technologies using uh, generative AI that I can't quite talk about just yet, but we hope to announce uh, soon. So we've always considered ourselves a front runner in the use of AI, um, but it is our strong belief that AI is just one tool in a broader toolbox of technologies that must be used to deliver useful real world protection. It's part of that bouquet, Adrian, and you guys have been doing this for more than three decades. So if, there, if there's an organization that sa understands cybersecurity, it certainly is ESAT. So when you put this all together and you try and tie all those loose threads, because as I said, it, it is a bouquet. It's got a bit of everything inside. There's a lot of research. It's not a, it's not a product that you can say it does this or it does that. There's a whole lot of different facets to it. How does this all tie into ESET's cybersecurity offerings? Yeah, so Aki, I think the story I'm trying to tell here is that ESET is unique in a couple of ways. So we've got this really long track record in the industry, you know, over three decades, which has allowed this huge accumulation of data. And that doesn't mean that we're a stale legacy player. It actually means quite the opposite. It means that we've managed to, you know, over the years, uh, successfully reinvent ourselves and bring new detection technologies to market over and over again as the threat landscape has evolved. Uh, the second thing is we have this really large research competence that has cultivated a very high level of human expertise, and that is really fundamental to the creation of effective cybersecurity products. You can't just rely on automated technology to create protection. You need It needs the guidance and knowledge of expertise, and we have decades of that. And finally, as I've just mentioned, we've got a, a constant, we've been a constant industry pioneer uh, in the field of AI and other novel technologies in cybersecurity for decades. So it's this combination of these factors of advanced technology, human expertise, threat data that allows us to offer really, really advanced detection with very low false positives and at very high efficiency. Our products are very low impact, high efficiency. And we have this detection philosophy of multiple layers of detection. And look, we could we could talk for hours about each detection layer and we won't do that, but you know, some of it is cloud-based where we can, uh, we can employ the most sophisticated and powerful AI models and others are highly optimized, really efficient uh, models that sit on the endpoint themselves. And all of this trickles down to our actual market offerings, our products and our services. So we're quite well known for our endpoint protection offerings and they have an impressive array of detection technologies. We also have a really good XDR offering that leverages these same core detection technologies. What's lesser known is we have an enterprise threat intelligence service that is based on all of our global research and data. So we have a data feed and we have a premium APT report service. But perhaps I'll talk about our most recent offering, which is our MDR offering, our managed detection and response, where we're bringing the XDR product stack paired with professional support and security services, such as threat monitoring and hunting to market. And I think what really sets the service offering apart, aside from great products that it's being paired with, is that we offer it locally with local support, but it's delivered by our global team. 
And what this means is we get to leverage ESET's global track record and participation in security research. Our security team, the services team, has a really deep understanding of threats and how attackers think. And additionally to that, they have direct access to malware experts and product development teams who can add insight and context when we do, say, forensic investigations. They have access to the latest threat intelligence data from our global research team. So they really have a unique um, access to information and expertise that I think a lot of other security service offerings might not have. And our MDR service is based on you know, this really excellent XDR product tool called ESET Inspect. It's really sophisticated and highly capable. And the global team are the most competent users of this product. So they really know how to get the best out of it uh, great results. And as an added uh, benefit, they can also drive the uh, feedback mechanism. So from real world use and insight, they can feed that back into the product development and we can make the product even better. So there's this really lovely symbiotic relationship between the globally based service offering and the product offering that I think is really compelling. And, and yeah, we're really excited to bring that to market. Well, I think that anybody watching this needs to have a chat to ESET and see what they can offer and what they can do for their business and uh, and and uh, on an individual base and a business base. But at the end of the day, you need to take cybersecurity very seriously in your organization. And if there's one organization with a track record and adapting to the changing times, it certainly is ESET. And Adrian Stanford is the group CTO at ESET Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What's Next, Adrian, and sharing those insights. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Aki. It was a great pleasure to be here.